All things have been committed to me by my Father, says Jesus. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You'd not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Well, our passage tonight, it's all about authority. In the context of a slightly obscure controversy about Jewish law, the question is who's in charge? And we're presented with two very different authority claims here. On the one hand, we have the Pharisees. They are the religious hierarchy who stand over God's people and they impose harsh regulations that go well beyond anything that God has commanded. Come to me, they say, and I'll give you religion. By contrast, the Son of Man... He comes alongside his people, humble and gentle. The Lord of the Sabbath says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Two very different versions of authority. Come to me and I'll give you religion. Come to me and I'll give you rest. The promise of human religion is that if I do enough, well enough, for long enough, well, then God will accept me. 
The hope of human religion is that because of my obedience, God will uphold his end of the bargain because he's that kind of guy and he'll look favourably upon me. Seen this way, human religion is hopelessly optimistic because the underlying presumption is that I can please God. But what's hidden in the terms and conditions that we never read is that human religion is a burden we were never able to carry. Since the required standard is perfection, I find myself crushed under the weight of failed expectations. Which is why it comes as such welcome relief. That is, for those who'll come to him, that Jesus offers peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's family, a place in God's kingdom, rich welcome. Come to me and I'll give you rest, rest for your souls. Our passage tonight, it's a bit complicated. It's detailed, but when you boil it down, this episode is all about authority and specifically Just who does Jesus think he is? What we're going to see is that one greater than David has arrived. One greater than the temple has arrived. The Lord of the Sabbath has arrived. The question before us is, will we come to him? And so receive from Jesus the promise of rest to which the command of the Sabbath has been pointing all along. If you've got your news sheet there, there's a sermon outline. You can see my first point. We have the incident and the accusation. Look carefully at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Okay, cue the scary music. His disciples were hungry. They began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Enter the Pharisees, verse 2. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Oh dear. Jesus is under surveillance, isn't he? And we might have expected that because opposition to him has been growing slowly now for a few chapters. But it says something about the tone of our passage, I think, that Jesus is being watched. On this occasion, it's the disciples who land Jesus in hot water by picking some heads of grain on the Sabbath. Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. But the question you should be asking yourself is, what law exactly have they broken? If you go way back to the book of Exodus, you'll find in chapter 24, the nation of Israel is forbidden from harvesting crops on the Sabbath. Over time, though, as a well-intentioned but misguided protective measure, to make sure that nobody even came close to breaking a command, the Pharisees placed additional constraints over the lives of God's people. And as an indication of just how uptight these human regulations had become, they now equate picking a few heads of grain in your hand with the harvesting of an entire crop. And I think we can all agree that even in a parallel universe, that would be absurd. However, here we are. Now, for background, the Sabbath, it's one of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath 
is a gift from God that's intended for our good. The enforced rest of one day in seven was both physically beneficial and spiritually important. On the Sabbath, your body is revitalised, but more than that, because you stop work, actually, the Sabbath is an act of faith because you're trusting in God's future provision even though you've stopped work. But by the time you reach first century Palestine, when the events in this passage take place, the number of Sabbath rules has ballooned to almost 40 separate laws, each of which had their own unique applications. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath and you couldn't put one out even if your house was in danger of burning down. You couldn't cook on the Sabbath. Well, actually, that's not quite true. You could cook on the Sabbath, but you couldn't use a fire that you'd lit because you can't light a fire on the Sabbath. You can't use hot water that you've heated on the Sabbath because you can't have hot water that you've heated. You've got to do it the night before. Good luck with that. The good news is you can shower. But you can only wash half your body. Take your pick. Left or right, top or bottom. Tough choice, isn't it? I had a shower just before I came. A whole shower. Now, we laugh. But you can see what's happened, can't you? In the hands of religious fanatics, what was intended as a day of rest for our good has been twisted into a burden. It's a minefield to the point where you get the feeling going to work would be more restful than having the Sabbath. This is the inevitable result of human religion. It's burdensome, heavy, crushing, soul-destroying, as God's word is distorted beyond recognition. And somehow, God is meant to be honoured by all this. Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. But are they? Really? I've been trying to think of an equivalent of this all week. This is the best I can do. It reminds me of playing the card game Uno. You ever played that? Every time I play Uno with a new group of people, it feels like a meeting of the United Nations throughout the first 20 minutes because you're, you're just discussing in huge detail all of the different rules of the game. Where do you stand on the issue of a draw two on a draw two? Pick up, put down. Oh, golly. And there's always that one heretic who thinks it's okay to win by playing with a win by playing with a power card. I don't know who raises these people. You spend more time arguing about the rules than you do playing the game, and so you miss the point. And that's the way it is with man-made religion. As a means of honoring God, religion has a long and undignified history of demanding slavish obedience to ever-increasing laws and regulations that miss the point. And as a practical thought experiment for you and me, and perhaps as a warning, I want you to notice the hypocrisy that is so often characteristic of human religion. According to the regulations imposed by the Pharisees, you won't find it in the scriptures, but they've imposed this, travel was strictly restricted on the Sabbath. And yet you can see as well as me, Beginning of chapter 12, here they are, travelling, following Jesus. 
And why are they following him? Well, they're following him so that they might monitor the behaviour of others. It's hypocritical, isn't it? Do you know, it makes it a sad irony then, don't you think, that we Christians, fairly or otherwise, have a reputation for being quick to point out the misdeeds of others, but suffering some convenient amnesia when it comes to our own shortcomings. Well, in any case, he's had enough, Jesus. His patience has absolutely been tested. He rises in defence of his disciples and in doing so launches an all-out attack on these burdensome regulations. And he does so with three examples that deconstruct the entire legal system that the Pharisees have built up. And at the same time, Jesus reveals his authority. Do you remember those words from chapter 11 where he talks about having all authority? Well, he's going to reveal that now because the one to whom the Sabbath has been pointing all along has arrived. Well, no wonder they wanted to kill him. Look at verses 3 and 4. One greater than David has arrived. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now, this event, it's distant to us, but it was famously controversial in the life of Israel. When King David was running for his life from Saul, and on this occasion, the priests in the house of God, they figured, well, the needs of King David are more important than ceremonial law. Now, it's important we get this. Both are important. But on this occasion and under these circumstances, King David's needs were ranked higher than ceremonial law. So they let David and his companions eat the bread. We might say, well, that's common sense. Well, if the priests can set aside ceremonial law, which comes from God, how much more? Can the Son of Man set aside human regulations so that his disciples might have something to eat? Now, the Pharisees would have been gobsmacked because this is a stunning claim. Jesus, does he seriously think he is more important than King David? You bet he does, but he's only just started. Verse 5, or haven't you read in the law? I'd love to have been there for this. Haven't you read in the law? Jesus might be gentle and humble, but he's not going to be mocked. Haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I mean, even the priests break the Sabbath. They work in the temple, but they're not condemned. Why? Well, because the work of the temple is more important than Sabbath regulation. And so ask yourself, It's a really important question. What is the temple for? Why does the temple exist? What's its function? Well, it does many things, but one goal of the temple was to enable God's people to come into God's presence so they might enjoy God's blessing. Hear that again. What's the function of the temple? That God's people might come into God's presence so they might enjoy God's blessing. And yet at the end of chapter 11, Jesus doesn't say come to the temple. 
He says, come to me. In other words, every single blessing that the temple symbolised, you'll find it in me and I'll give it to you. Free of charge. If you come to me, that is. Because unlike man-made religion, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Something greater than the temple is here. I can tell you, the Pharisees would be foaming at the mouth and tearing their robes at this point, but Jesus is on a roll. He won't be silenced. So in verses 7 and 8, he exposes the ugly fruit of human religion, which parades outward obedience, but is totally clueless about what pleases God. If you'd known what these words mean, he's really sticking it to him, isn't he? If you'd known what these words mean, they know what the words say. But by their actions, they prove they don't know what they mean. If you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is the second time in two chapters Jesus has quoted this from the Old Testament in judgment of the Pharisees. If you'd known what these words mean, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. That is, you wouldn't have accused my disciples of breaking the Sabbath. And now Jesus really gives them something to be angry about. He tells the truth, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the master of the Sabbath. Your regulations count for nothing. I will interpret the Sabbath. I rule the Sabbath. I'll tell you what's lawful on the Sabbath. Everything to which the Sabbath pointed has arrived, peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, entry into God's kingdom, the forever Sabbath day with no morning, no night time, into eternity, come to me and I'll give it to you. Free of charge. So the king's revealed his authority and now, just as the crowds have done beforehand, Now the elite will reject the king. They've taken aim at Jesus through his disciples. Now they'll take aim at him directly. And in doing that, they prove they've not listened to one thing that Jesus has said. Not one. These experts in the law are completely unteachable. And while it's not the point of the passage, I'd simply make this point here. There's a practical warning for us to avoid the arrogance of thinking that Jesus has nothing left to teach us. Remember a few weeks ago, I I said to you that a a disciple, what, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a learner, always. And it's a great trap of human religion to fall into the arrogance of thinking that you know everything. But did you notice these experts in the law who often have so much to say, they fall silent now in response to Jesus' teaching. They have no comeback because Jesus has argued comprehensively from the scriptures. They have nothing to say And they've been exposed as the blind guides that they are. The failed, negligent shepherds of God's people. And they know it. People who love the law, but who by their deeds show that they hate the lawgiver. 
And as we approach these last few verses, it's easy to chuck rocks at the Pharisees. But I want us to see in these last few verses from verse 9 onwards, this is just so sad. This is tragic. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. It's theirs now. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? According to the Pharisees, medical care was acceptable on the Sabbath, provided the person to whom you were giving medical care was about to die. Life-threatening, in other words. Now, I don't know how you judge that sometimes, but nevertheless, that was the regulation. But that's not the case here, is it? This isn't life-threatening. So, is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's a clever question. It's the kind of question you'd expect from a journalist at a press conference for a politician. It's a gotcha question. Notice how Jesus responds. So instructive for us. He's very calm and he builds some common ground. Good verse 11. A rhetorical question. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not, not take hold of it and lift it out? Well, of course you would. You do it on the Sabbath, you do it on any day of the week. That's common sense. Okay, common sense, some common ground. Good, right. If we can agree that it's lawful to help a sheep on the Sabbath, surely it's lawful to help a person, isn't it? Relative value, sheep, person. Okay, some more common ground. That's the conclusion, verse 12. Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Well, of course it is. And especially so when mercy is the result, because remember, if forced to choose, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice and obedience are important. But if you force God to choose, he'll choose mercy every time. In which case, verse 13, why should this guy suffer another day longer? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. It was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Imagine watching that in real time. Nobody disputes that Jesus has the power to do this. There's no argument about that. This man is completely restored. And under any other circumstance, you would expect those people watching on to celebrate. This is good news. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. It's just so sad. Contrast their response with the person of the Lord Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. How does he use it? What does he do? What have we seen? He offers kindness. He is consistently merciful. He is patient. He comes alongside the tax collector and sinner at cost to his own reputation. And to anyone who will come to him, he is generous. Come to me and I'll give you rest. The forgiveness of sins. Peace with God. I'll give it to you. But they won't come to him, not for rest at least. And yet one greater than David has come. One greater than the temple has come. 
And so for you and me, I think the encouragement is, may we continue to come to him. Tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month. Because as we're reminded in Hebrews 4, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And what's the instruction in Hebrews 4? May we make every effort to enter that rest. Come to me, says Jesus, and I'll give you rest. Let's continue to come to him, putting our trust in him, looking to him, relying on him, entrusting our lives to him, come what may, as we wait for the eternal Sabbath rest that he promises for those who'll come to him.